Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program and happy holidays. As we near the end of the year, we're going to talk about something that's changing for real estate investors in 2014 today on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way to ensure that 2014 is your best year yet? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You too can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2014 Goals Retreat, January 10th to 12th in beautiful San Diego, California. This unique weekend event has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click events, or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2014 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723, extension 18, today. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Let's say hello to our co-host, financial strategist, Russell Gray. Ho, ho, ho. How you doing? Good. We've got a great subject in a way. Uh, we might even say a great subject too, in a way. But <laughs> we're going to uh, discuss something that's important for you to know. And the holiday season, we should be light and wonderful. But this is serious stuff, and we've got a serious topic. So uh, before we get into that, let us just wish you a wonderful holiday season and great merriment and a chance to reconnect with family and friends and all those wonderful things that happen this time of year. Yes, and accumulate more body. <laughs> That's what happens to me at the holidays, you know. You accumulate more body. I accumulate. Yes. There's just like there's a lot more of me. Everything is so uh, when I start the year, year, and then I have to go around trying to reduce the me and accumulate more of uh, you know things in my portfolio rather than things around my waist. Uh, Man. Absolutely. So we've got a new year coming up and a great chance to uh, set your goals and get excited about all that. But as real estate investors, we're always looking at the landscape. And uh, what, what's happening is uh, there's lots of stuff, as you know, in Dodd-Frank. And one of the things that you may not be aware of is a huge change to your exit strategy as a seller of real estate. And it has to do with seller financing. Yeah. I mean, you know, the basic adage of investing is don't go in unless you know how you're going to get out. And ideally, you're going to have more than one exit strategy. So even somebody who is a buy and hold investor, and this is this is really important because when you're a buy and hold investor, you're doing strategies today based on an exit strategy that could be 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road. So when the rules get changed, it can literally change your whole strategy. And so you do have to pay attention. And when you get a government that is being very active, as our government has been in the wake of the financial crisis, I mean, we've been spending a lot of time talking about monetary policy and what's going on affecting loans and interest rates and the, the value of the dollar. And, and those are all long-term things. This thing is a little bit different because it's a lot more tactical. It's a lot more today, uh, but it also has long-term implications. And uh, this is relatively new. Obviously, Dodd-Frank's been kicking around for some time. This particular provision is going to take effect January 10th, 2014. And basically, in a nutshell, what it says is as a seller of real estate, one of your exit strategies has been the ability to carry the loan. That could be because you own the property outright or because you have a mortgage that's at a real low rate. And we'll talk about the different ways you might do that. But it's a great strategy to be the lender. Say you get to the point in your investment portfolio that you've got a lot of property and, and you now reach what we call in our book critical mass. Right. You have the accumulation phase where I'm acquiring properties and I'm building up equities and cash flows. And then you get to a point where you say, you know what? I'm good. If I take what I have now in my portfolio and convert that to cash flow monthly, I'm set. I've hit my target amount so I can make my target income every month and I'm at that critical mass point. One way to do that is to take what was a rental property and sell it via seller financing. And now you've turned a stream of income that came from tenants and all the ups and downs of vacancy and turnover and all that and taken usually a smaller cash flow that's predictable by now being the lender. Well, I mean, how many times have you gone out, Robert? I, I've watched you do this many, many times over the years, and you find that guy that's, you know, 80 years old. And this guy's accumulated, you know, dozens and dozens of properties, and, he, and he's just, he does, he's not thinking about 
long-term equity appreciation. He just wants to be alive in 10 years. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, not only that, but he's changed his entire investment philosophy. And many times those guys, and there's a lot of those guys, have properties paid off because that was the idea. They right. just pay it off. The tenant would pay it off over time. And now they're sitting on five or 10 or 20 free and clear properties. And rather than just throw them on the MLS and see what they'll sell for, it's quite possible that by offering seller financing, you can get much better rate. You can turn that investment into a stream of cash flow, and it's secured by a portfolio of properties you know very well. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about what's going on with the dollar. And, you know, if you take an asset like a paid off real estate property that's generating income, and you're like, you know what, I'm just, I'm, I'm 70 years old, I'm 60 years old, whatever the number is, and I, I'm tired to dealing with the tenants and the toilets and all that stuff and even through property management you just i just don't want to do it anymore so you want to get rid of it if you sell it you're going to pay all the expenses of selling it you're going to lose any of the potential upside or to your family there's you know estate planning consideration i mean there's a lot of things tax recap there's a lot of things to think about yeah. in just liquidating a real estate portfolio so it's not an easy decision and one of the great exit strategies is carry back especially today i mean if i'm that guy and i'm going to go dump my money in a cd at what 0.75 right I mean, that's ridiculous. Why would I do that? I could buy treasuries. Okay, so I buy treasuries. My principal's at risk because as interest rates rise, the value of those bonds drop, right? So am I going to want to do that for two, two and a half percent? I mean, where am I going to go? Stock market? You know, so maybe dividend paying stocks, but still in a bubble like we have today, I might be way overpaying for that stream of income. So I've got a bird in the hand. I know these properties. All I got to do, and a lot of times, my best prospects for buyers are my tenants. I can turn them into rent to owners, you know. Um, and so there's things that I can do to create cash flow out of my portfolio at a much higher rate than any of my other options without having to take on all of these tax and, and other, other concerns. So we love this exit strategy, and here's the good news. You can still do it. Here's the bad news. After January 10, 2014, if you do it more than three times a year, you have to be mortgage licensed. Yeah, I mean, I, got, you know, when this national mortgage licensing thing came in, I got out of the business, you know. It used to be licensed at the state level, and we were very active. We were putting together the mortgage television network back at that time. We were very active in high levels of the mortgage industry, talking to all the thought leaders, all the industry honchos, you know, the, the press in that particular industry. Spent a lot of time talking to those folks, and, and what we really witnessed was the systematic dismantling of the mortgage banking business and the mortgage brokerage business of which I was a part. And, you know, we had one guy at a very high level tell us he thought it was being done purposely by number the one, banks. Number one originator in his state. Yeah. He thought it was being done purposely to wipe out that entire distribution channel of competition. Because you got to remember, the mortgage brokerage business and the mortgage banking business really had its ascension, if you will, in the wake of the, the uh, savings and loan crisis. And so when interest rates went through the roof with Paul Volcker and all of that back then, creative financing and alternatives to getting capital to market came up because that's what entrepreneurs do. And so that entire system came into place. Well, what ended up happening by the time I was in the business, you know, 2005, the mortgage brokerage channel was originally originating about 72% of all loans. And so maybe it's just a coincidence, but at any rate, that channel got blown up. And in the wake of that blow up, it took out a big chunk of the economy, as we all know. And the result of that has been this systematic layering on of additional legislation under the guise of protecting the consumer. Okay, so the mortgage brokers are the bad guys, the spec evil speculators are the bad guys, the people who are moving capital to the marketplace, they're the bad guys. So now the banks want to be in the position to move the capital. And so it's it's kind of like they've taken control of it. So I don't know if that's too conspiracy theory. Maybe I'm a little bitter because of my experience in the mortgage business. But at the end of the day, it's my understanding that much of the Dodd-Frank legislation was written by banking lobbyists. So it's no shock to me that the legislation tends to favor the banks and eliminate competition. So now owner carryback financing is a substantial source of investment capital for a real estate investor. You, you, know, you run around and say, oh, if I could only find owner carryback. Well, that's great if you're the buyer and you're trying to find that one-off deal. Or if you're the seller and you want to get those streams of income. Well, so yeah. So if you got, but if you have a big portfolio, if your mission in life today, if you're 25, 30, 40 years old and you're saying, hey, over the next 20, 30 years, I want to accumulate all these properties. I want to get them all rented out. I want to let the amortization do what it does. And hey, if the property goes up, you know, and equity happens, good for me. But, but really what I'm focused on is getting these properties paid off 
off. And then when I get to that annuity phase, that income phase of my, my life, I'm just going to flip the switch and I'm going to start writing carryback loans, create these assets on my balance sheets, receivables, securitized by properties I would be happy to foreclose on. But you're forgetting something, Russ. You're forgetting that the people who run these banks need to feed their children. They need to have income. They're putting themselves <laughs> in, the, in the position where they don't want you to take that business. Oh, that's just too funny. But that, I mean, I, you know, again, not conspiracy theorists, but it's hard to look at this and not see it for what it is. Yeah. It is basically the banks stopping competition from the little guy. So we're not going to change that. No. What we have to learn is how do we play around it. Exactly. So here's what it means. If you're occasionally doing seller carryback financing, it's no big deal. If your business model is based on that, you're in trouble. And let's cover the basics. Basically, any seller can do up to three mortgages a year and not have to get licensed. Beyond that, you have to get licensed. But it's worse than that. The loan terms you originate are dictated by Dodd-Frank. You have to have a fully amortizing loan with no balloon payments. Well, right there, most of the guys that do this and carry paperback have 10-year, 5-year, they have balloons. Sure. Well, let's give an example. So a guy's got a collection of properties and it, they're dilapidated. And they're dilapidated because he's old, he doesn't care anymore, blah, 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 right? Whatever. They're, they're dilapidated. doesn't matter why. But that could be a great opportunity for a buyer. It's a huge opportunity. So you come into the guy and you say, hey, you know what, buddy? I don't have the money to buy all this. And... I can't go get conventional bank loans because the property's in crappy condition, but I'll make a deal with you. Give me five years to rehab all these properties, fix them up and sell them, and then I'll pay you off. But I can't afford to amortize you know, the carryback loan over five years. Right. It kills my cash flow. Right. So give me a 30-year amortized loan but I'll pay you back. We'll have a call in five years. And that gives me five years to fix it up, get the equity. Meanwhile, the cash flow that's generating, I'll take over the management of the property. That is a great win-win. The neighborhood's going to win because the properties are finally going to get fixed up. The seller's going to win because he gets out of the drudgery of having to own that. And he's going to get a stream of cash flow without you know the landlording. And the entrepreneur gets the opportunity to solve those problems in the marketplace and do something good for both the seller and the community while enriching himself. That's America at its best. But Ross, the <laughs> bank doesn't win. You're forgetting the poor banker. They don't win in that case. They have to originate the loan. And so this is a, obviously we have some energy on this, but this is a situation <laughs> where we have think? to learn the rules about it. In fact, there's some more rules. We'll talk about those when we come back. We'll take a break and share more about your exit strategy and how it's changing in 2014. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. Do you know what city was ranked number one on Clear Capital's list of highest performing metro markets just this February? It was Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with Georgia Residential Partners. If you haven't heard, Atlanta has just begun an incredible road to recovering real estate values. With an unprecedented demand from investors and a shrinking supply of inventory, properties in the Atlanta market are poised for tremendous growth over the next few years. At Georgia Residential Partners, our mission is to help as many investors as possible buy turnkey cash-flowing properties in the Atlanta metro area with as little headache as possible. With conventional and non-conventional financing available, we can help just about any investor in any number of situations buy residential properties in this market. Check us out online at gainvesting.com or call our office at 770-924-5450. Don't let this window of opportunity pass you by. Live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. Even better, invest where you have a solid team to support you. We've been hearing great things about Memphis, Tennessee, and Terry Kerr from Mid-South Homebuyers. Since 2002, Terry and his team have been delivering turnkey rental property solutions ideal for out-of-area real estate investors. So if you're looking for affordable, trouble-free, turnkey investment property, call Terry. Use our resource hotline at 888-510-6838, extension 118. That's 888-510-6838, extension 118. Or find them in the resources area of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, I'm Robert Kiyosaki, and I encourage you to listen to those wild and crazy real estate guys. They're the best. They're working for years, and they know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. We certainly hope you're enjoying this wonderful time of the year. Hey, there's still time to join us for the 2014 Goals Retreat. It happens in beautiful San Diego, California. You can check it out on our website at realestateguysradio.com under events. 
We're talking today about the shifting exit strategy of seller financing because of the new regulation that uh, starts in January, January 10th, 2014. In fact, we've been talking about the idea that as a investor, you might want to have the strategy to carry back financing and now Dodd-Frank's limiting that. So we talked about the loan has to be fully amortizing, no balloon payment. Also, it is now your duty and requirement as the seller to determine whether or not the buyer has the reasonable ability to repay the loan. <laughs> oh my goodness. So that happened to the mortgage brokerage community, right? Yeah. So just so you understand what a mortgage broker is as opposed to being like a loan officer at a bank. When a loan officer works for the bank and his fiduciary responsibility is to the bank. And when he makes the loan, his job is to make sure that that borrower is well qualified uh, to repay the loan. Right? That's his responsibility. And of course, the borrower's responsibility to himself is to make sure that he can qualify for the loan. Bingo. You, you know, you don't have any control over that guy's spending habits or what he's going to do the day after he signs the paperwork. You just have to trust that this guy is a responsible person and you look at his history. Not only that, if I'm carrying back on a property I've owned, I'm okay taking it back if the guy doesn't perform. I might be willing to take that risk. I don't care about the guy's credit. I know he's got enough skin in the game that if I have to take the property back, I'm cool with that. Well, not according to Dodd-Frank. Well, so, so here's the deal. But as a mortgage broker, I'm the middleman. I put the package together on behalf of the borrower and I submit it to the lender's underwriting department where their underwriters, the people who have to determine whether they want to take the risk or not based on the documentation, decide to accept or not accept the risk. If they decide to say yes, who am I to tell them what they should do with their money? I mean, if they say yes and they accept the loan, then I've done my job brokering the relationship. Absolutely. But the result of these legislators were, oh no, the mortgage broker now has to be responsible. And that's what we're talking about. So you say, well, I'm not a mortgage broker. Well, if you want to do more than three carrybacks in a year, you're going to have to be. Right. That's the whole point of this. And, and there's one thing we should point out, and maybe you're going to go there, but I'll just bring it up now, is that it, this really is if you're selling to somebody who's owner-occupied. And you say, oh, well, that's, that's fine, then I'll just sell to investors. But here's the thing. Investors are going to want a good deal, right? An owner-occupant typically, especially in res, you know, residential real estate, the, the owner-occupant is going to pay more if he likes the backyard, if he likes the direction the sun comes in, if he likes the floor. The school district. Yeah, an investor doesn't care about any of that stuff. Investor is just going to do the math. And if it rents for X, I'm going to pay this and no more. And you're not going to typically get as good a price. So when we talk about guys who do turnkey operations, they either sell retail or they sell wholesale. What is that? I'm either going to sell retail to an owner-occupant because they will pay more or I'll turn it quickly to an investor at a better price because they'll, they're willing to pay less because they need, they need some meat on the bone to make money. But they'll close quickly and they'll buy more. Exactly. So you say, okay, well, I'm going to continue to feed that guy because I'd rather make a quick nickel than a long dime. Right? I mean, so that's why those guys do it. Well, and I think here the, the thing is, you're right, it, it doesn't apply to investment property. But what we're talking about is the strategy of selling perhaps to your tenant. Now the tenant would be an owner-occupant buying the property. Well, who's the natural buyer? Or for any single-family house, the next natural buyer is an owner-occupant. It's not an investor. So there are some carve-outs of this thing, but where it really affects you is the big exit strategy of selling to someone who's going to move into the property. Even if it was move into one unit of a fourplex, it still applies. Well, or if you're, you know, your little infill developer, right? You find a little plot of land somewhere and you go, oh, hey, I could put three or four houses here. And you decide to do it. But, you know, the market turns on you and you're stuck sitting on the inventory and you go, well, how can I get rid of this inventory? Well, you could rent it out, but then, you know, tenants aren't going to treat the property well. Well, I could self-finance and make these things available to people who maybe had a strategic default. I mean, are there any of those people out there? Uh, people who maybe had an interruption in their employment? Because the other thing that comes along with a lot of this new legislation, of course, we've seen this and the good news, it's actually lightening up, but lending underwriting has gotten stiffer, not easier. And so you take the conventional lending out of the marketplace and then you put a stranglehold on the creative financing and then, and then you sit there and scratch your head and go, gee, why isn't the economy recovering? Why isn't the money moving? Well, you've put all these impediments to commerce. Okay, well, we can complain about it or we can try to figure out a way to work around it, you know? I mean, so one option is to become licensed. Well, and that is, you, that's one of the big deals. If this is a big part of your strategy or you think it might be, then that's gonna be one of the things to consider is becoming licensed. Now, becoming licensed, is also harder and more onerous than it's ever been in the old time I've been in real estate. Right. So it's difficult today. And in fact, 
there's more background check, there's more licensing and educational requirements than there's ever been. So you can't just callously say, oh, I'll just get my license. It's not like that. You know, 20 years ago, you could just get your license. Right. Today, it's a process and it's expensive and time consuming. And is that your main business? So there may be some tweaks you can do in your model to eliminate that. But let's just cover the, a couple more things you need to understand about it. So you've got to be as the seller, as the originator of this private mortgage, you've got to make sure that the buyer can qualify, if you will. The loan has to have a fixed interest rate for at least the first five years. So you cannot be creative in terms of interest rate and adjustable and you know this for the first year, this for the second year. Back to your example of you want to help the as the seller, you've got a dilapidated property. You want to help the buyer to be in a position to take that over. You can say, hey, for the first couple of years, we'll make the interest rate real low. And after that, we'll raise the interest rate. That gives you, you know, some incentive to get out of it earlier and so forth. Well, that's been stripped away. It just, it drives me crazy because here you've got two grown adults, right? Buyer and seller. And they're trying to conduct a business transaction that makes sense for them in their unique set of circumstances. And they have this big overlay, federal overlay, if you will, that sits on top of them that is based on a one-size-fits-all philosophy and it takes a lot of the creativity out very very frustrating but here's the thing that's going to be exciting I think when we, we come back and we maybe revisit this topic a year from now or, or a little bit after that and look back it's going to be really intriguing to see what the entrepreneurs in this country do to navigate this law because we are the, some of the most creative ingenious ambitious hard-working people on planet earth and when you put an impediment in front of us we get pissed you know and and we, we we scratch our heads and then you know we but we adjust and we keep doing because capitalism uh, in america is a relentless ever-moving force and i'm talking about you know crony capitalism and the, the kind of negative capitalism entrepreneurship really entrepreneurship the idea that i'm going to go figure out a way to get a deal done i'm going to go figure out a way to solve a problem i'm going to figure out a way to mitigate and navigate all of these regulations and get get the deal done um, it slows things down and that's frustrating now inside of that though is a huge opportunity because if you're new to the game the market can't run away from you the way it was because things have slowed down which means that to a degree the sales going to continue right real estate is going to is going to meter out and so that could be pretty good one other thought though on those interest rates right think about that think about where interest rates are today I mean, interest rates are low, relatively low, low but yeah. they've been creeping up. I think the, the general consensus is they're going to continue to creep up. And so if I've locked in my costs because I paid my loan off, or if I have you know, fixed financing and I'm willing to do a wrap and maybe we can talk about well, that. Well, I think a wrap is still a seller financing in terms of this, but that's a bigger topic, which we'll cover after the break. For yeah, sure. okay. So, so, but the idea is now I can really support the buyer to your point, but you know, now you're asking me to take five years of interest rate risk. Right. If I, I, I have to guarantee that loan five years in a rising interest rate environment, well, maybe that's OK if I've got the property paid off. But no balloon payment. It's got to go for 30 years. So let's say your strategy was you were going to originate those loans as a seller, an owner, and then sell them off after some period of time, two years, three years, some stabilization. You've got loan payment history. You're like, hey, I'm going to go sell this in the private market, which is a perfectly saleable asset sure. up until now. It still could be because if you sell that loan to a licensed broker or a hard money lender who's licensed, that could be an exit strategy. But part of that ability that limits you is how many you can do. If I'm that guy retiring, I've got the big portfolio, you're limited by the number. Right. And I'm not sure. Are you sure that if you sell the loan to somebody else and you buy the loan, it's not how many loans you hold? It's the origination. You it's can the origination originate loan, three right. per year. Yeah. What you do with them after that is up to you. I'm just saying one of the exit strategies you have when you carry financing is to sell that note to somebody else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so that's, again, we're trying to understand as the law changes the various ways we can have exit strategy because you you shouldn't have just a single exit strategy. Oh, yeah, I'm going to buy the property and when it goes up, I'm going to sell it. Well, what if you can't? Right. What if something happens? Right. What if there's new legislation? Because the, the kicker, you're going to love this one, is that the loan must meet certain criteria identified by the Federal Reserve Board. My buddies. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, do they ever change the rules? Oh, yeah. Constantly. And do they ever get it right? Never. Uh, no, not really. No, no, not for a hundred years. <laughs> so there's a lot in here. And I think part of understanding it, folks who are listening who maybe hadn't thought about this exit strategy, this is a, a reason to put plant that seed. And we have a lot of listeners from around the world who aren't in the United States. 
So what does it mean to you? Well, still, we're going to talk about some of the strategies involved, which are going to be totally great strategies no yeah. matter where you own property based on your timeline. Well, the irony is is you can you can sell to investors, other investors, and there is no limitation. So think about this for a minute. Yet. Yet. Okay, but but so just as it is, as it lays right now, what you've done is you've effectively taken a source of financing away from the owner-occupant, the homeowner, the little guy that this is allegedly designed to help, and you've redirected all of those opportunities to the investor, the person who's allegedly at the scene of the crime, right? right. I mean, it's just, it's so backwards. It's crazy. Well, you know what it, what it is? It's that the very banks we're talking about, the lion's share of loans are not made to investors. Right. They're not made to listeners of this show. Right. The lion's share of loans are made to mom and pop, get up every day, go to work, own a house, raise my family. That's who the loans are made for. That's what it's focused on. So here's my point. We've been talking about this all from the perspective of the seller. Yep. And the limitations on the seller to maybe get the best buyer, the best price by going after the uh, owner-occupant market. But on the flip side of that, if you if you are the investor out there looking for owner carryback financing, your esteem in the eye of the seller with the equity just went way up yeah. because he can play with you and he doesn't have to follow these rules, right? So, well, so huge opportunity. We, you know, it may sound like a doom and gloom show, but it isn't. I mean, this is like this is an amazing, amazing shift that we don't think, it, obviously, we don't think a lot of people understand it yet. Clearly, it hasn't rolled out. As it begins to roll out and people are faced with making these these uh, exit decisions with huge portfolios, they're going to be looking for investors to get them out. Bingo. Well, I guess one more thing about that. Anytime more obstacles are put in the way of the herd, the herd thins. So if you're willing to get licensed and go through that whole thing and now right. even partner with people to create these kinds of mortgages, there's going to be more opportunity than ever because the average person is going to throw their hands up and go, I can't do that anymore. That's not for you. Instead, you've got to figure out, first of all, what's my primary exit strategy? And then one or two or three other strategies that may or may not work. And this is a perfect indication of why we need multiple exit strategies. Because if five years ago, your strategy had been, I'm just going to sell or finance everything. Dodd-Frank just took that away. Yeah. Multiple doors, multiple exits is so, so, so important. You know, you have your plan A, but have a plan B, have a plan C. We're talking about how this new legislation affects you as a real estate investor. We come back and we're going to talk about some ideas and some strategies you can use around this that will keep you in line with the law. We're also going to play real estate trivia next. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're the Real Estate Guys. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Are you ready for adventure and financial education? Imagine spending an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Join the Real Estate Guys radio show for the 12th annual Investor Summit. Returning this year are Rich Dad Advisors Ken McElroy, Andy Tanner, and Josh and Lisa Lannan. International developer Beth Clifford, attorney Mauricio Raoul, and back for his fourth year, Patrick Donahoe will show you how to be your own bank. Plus, making his summit debut, top sales trainer Tom Hopkins, and returning for his second year, the incomparable Peter Schiff. Peter is one of the few people who called the mortgage meltdown in writing before it happened, so come and find out how you can be prepared for the next economic shift. It all begins March 8th in Houston. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more. Get all the details and reserve your spot today. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit or call 888-GUYS-RADIO to talk with our Summit specialist. Spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 12th Annual Investor Summit. Hello, this is Dave Leninger, co-founder of REMAX International. You're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show and Happy New Year almost to you. We're talking about multiple exit strategies and now some of that has changed with Dodd-Frank. But before we get back to our discussion, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia, your chance to win a prize by knowing today's Real Estate Trivia question, the last one for the year. As soon as you hear the question and think you know the answer, get us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com, trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Be sure to include your name and the answer and your mailing address so that if you're the winner, we can send you a copy of Josh and Lisa Lannan's great book, The Social Capitalist in the Rich Dad Advisors series. Before we give you this week's trivia question, here was our question last week. 
Although the North Pole is extremely cold, it's not actually the coldest spot on Earth. What is? Well, it might come as a shock. But even though the North Pole rarely gets above 32 degrees, the coldest place on Earth is actually the South Pole, where the temperatures in winter average 76 degrees below zero. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. The classic movie, A Christmas Story, where nine-year-old Ralphie Parker longs for a Red Ryder BB gun, was set during a snowy Christmas season in 1940s Indiana. So, in order to appear like 1940s Indiana, in what town is the house used for the movie actually located? The actual house from A Christmas Story, what city and state is that house located in? If you know the answer or you want to take an educated guess, send us an email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and mailing address so we can send you a copy of The Social Capitalist by Josh and Lisa Lannon. That's today's real estate trivia question and another holiday trivia question from The Real Estate Guys. We're talking today about the change in exit strategy necessitated by the new legislation in Dodd-Frank, but we're going to open it up to a really bigger topic than that, and and that is this idea of multiple exit strategies, different doors out of the investment. And for those of you who have stuck with us throughout the show who don't live in the United States, a lot of listeners in Canada, a lot of listeners in Australia, and 175 other countries, but here's the thing. There's lots of strategies you can use when it comes to what I guess we could call creative financing, but ways that you can look at selling a property other than just, hey, the buyer came in and paid me cash and I left. So as we understand seller financing, what we've really been focusing on in terms of examples here is when a seller owns the property outright. But there's a lot of situations where the seller doesn't own the property outright, but they've been making payments for a long time and maybe the principal's reduced and maybe the interest rate is attractive. And so there's different ways you can play if you're trying to sell a property with a loan already in place. Absolutely. I mean, there's clearly an inventory of properties out there with attractive interest rate loans attached to them. And interest rates are headed up. That's right. And so that's an asset. Even if you could qualify for a new loan, right? I mean, it's certainly attractive uh, when you can't qualify for a new loan. So when you know, you're an investor out there looking at a property, you're looking at the property, you're looking at the income or the income potential or the fixer-upper potential, depending on the type of property. But another asset that you are looking at is the opportunity to step in to that favorable interest rate. And there's kind of three ways to do that historically. One is to assume a loan. A seller has a loan in place and you just walk in and assume it. Now today, most loans are not assumable. Used to be many years ago, most loans were assumable. Today, many commercial loans are still assumable, but that's one way. Second way is to take a property subject to the loan, meaning the original loan stays in place and you're buying it subject to that loan staying in place. There's a whole bunch of stuff around that we can talk about. And then, there's the idea of a wraparound mortgage. Right. Now, that's kind of confusing, but let's talk through what a wrap is. Let's say that you have a property and market value today is $200,000. You bought it for $150,000 and your loan was $120,000. And let's say that you know you paid it down a little bit, but it's still around $120,000. Now, there might be a reason for you to consider seller financing like we've talked about. And again, it's not the death of seller financing. You still can do a few of these transactions. But now, you might be in a position to as the seller of the property who who is making the payments on that $120,000 loan and has been for some time, you sell to a new buyer. They pay you a 20% down payment on the $200,000 number. That's going to be $40,000. You originate a new mortgage at $160,000, but you owe $120,000. The interest rate that you're paying might be 3.5%. You might charge 4.5%. Right. So now you're basically originating a $160,000 note at 4.5%, taking that payment in, turning around and paying your $120,000 note at 3.5% and arbitraging the difference. Right. You've traded the property for cash for a note receivable and a positive stream of income. So that's why you would do it, right? Well, and, and historically, the reason people have done wraps is because there's been a, that difference that you can exploit in the in the mortgage rate. Arbitrage. Or, or because of the thing that you brought up, which is maybe the borrower isn't perfectly qualified in today's lending standards, but they still have a job and some you know cash and so forth. So I might be willing as a seller to take the risk to 
sell to somebody that the bank might not be willing to underwrite. Absolutely. I mean, and there's a lot of that out there. I mean, it's that's why this is really a great strategy at this particular time, which is what makes this new law potentially frustrating if you if you want to sell to owner occupants. If you're having a hard time getting your mind about around the way a wrap works, it's really pretty simple. Think about the way you buy a car. You buy a car, you get the car, which would be the house, and then you get the title, but it's a conditional title. It's not really the title because it's got a lien on it, if you will, right? And so you, you have a contract now to buy the car, and the car becomes yours when you pay the loan off. So that's pretty much the way a wrap works. You do it with a contract of sale, and then what ends up happening is instead of getting the deed to the property at the time you purchase it and make the loan the way you would in a conventional purchase, you have to pay the loan all the way off. And when the loan is paid off, then the seller delivers to you title. And you can pay the loan off by just making those payments forever or by bringing in new financing or by bringing cash to the party. A lot of different ways to pay the loan off. Yeah, and because this isn't a boilerplate deal, you know, where you've got to adhere to some third party's rules about the terms of the transaction, at least up until now, you're able to create a loan, really customize a financing package for the unique needs of both parties. Uh, and, and, you know, again, if you're dealing with investors on the takeout or you're, you know, doing less than three a year, you still have that available to you. So, you know, it's worth your time to learn how to do it and put a few of those deals together. And then who knows, you know, I mean, some of these onerous laws, I hope, are going to get overturned or challenged or somehow, you know, revised so they're a little bit more workable. I mean, back in the day when we had the the big explosion in the mortgage markets, you know, the initial reaction was to take the number of loans that you could get under Fannie and Freddie guidelines from 10 down to four. Right. Well, that was completely the opposite right thing to do because you just took the first people who were going to rush into the disaster area and clean it all up and you just stopped them from entering the game, right? Yep, because brilliant. I'm an investor. Homeowners aren't going to rush into a fire sale because they're going to wait till the market proves itself. Investors, no more are they going to buy more than one property. Or are they going to buy more than one property? So the people who are going to come in and prop up the market with demand would have been investors and you just cut their legs off. Yeah, exactly. But fortunately, you know, the, the powers that be looked at that and go, oh, that was stupid and they changed it. So there's still hope, you know, that some of these maybe laws that we don't think are that bright are going to get turned around. But until then, you can still work within them. And it's, I think it's Learning how to do wraps is probably a you know, like a fundamental skill of any serious real estate investor. Well, sure. And as times change, there's different reasons for that. As interest rates go up and down in the market, what's available to everybody buying is different. And so you spoke of the fact that a low interest rate loan is an asset. It absolutely is. Even today, you see people buying subject to. Subject to is a little different. We talk about assuming a loan. That's where you formally go in and change the name of the borrower and qualify for the loan. And there are certain circumstances under which you might want to do that. I.e., you knock on the bank's door and go, hello, it's me. This is what we're doing. Right, exactly. The other way is to not really come out and tell the bank what's happening. And you just, as a buyer, buy from the seller and take the loan subject to. Both parties have to be on the same page about that. And it's not, we're not saying, we're not suggesting that you do this or suggesting that you don't. It's just in the marketplace and a lot of people are still doing it. Just understand there's some risks. And so here's how subject two works. Let's say that same exact scenario. The house is 200000 The loan's one twenty. I come in and I want to buy that house. And I say, well, I'll give you the 80000 and I'll just take the loan subject too. So Mr. Seller now takes all of his equity out. He's gone, except that he's still on the loan. So I don't have that clear title you spoke of, but I would do have is control of the property and use of the property, whether I want to live in it or rent it out. But I'm now taking the responsibility of making the payment. So how's the seller protected? How's the buyer protected? There's lots of ways to do that beyond the scope of this show. If we did a whole show on subject two, we could talk about that, but just know that there are different ways that both parties are comfortable with the transaction. As long as the lender doesn't call in their alienation clause, which is a clause in most loans that says, hey, if you don't follow the rules that you agreed upon in the loan, we can call the loan due, like a due on sale clause, because you've transferred the property. Well, still, today, that's not likely to happen. As mortgage rates go up, exactly, it's more likely to happen. Yeah, so it's the same thing. I mean, back in the day when the housing market was uh, collapsing and people were, the economy, people losing their jobs and all of that, uh, and people had a hard time making their loans. If you were that guy or gal that lived in a $300,000 property that had $90,000 left on your loan, you were on the lender's short list to foreclose. Yeah. Right? Because it was all that equity to be had. Now, 
Conversely, if you were that guy or gal that had a $300,000 property that had financed at 110%, you owed, you know, 330 or whatever, then you were on the lender shortlist of people to work something out with. In fact, you probably still have that property. You probably You're not still have that property. The lender doesn't want it, right? Because they can't, they can't dispose of it and take the hit on their balance sheet. But the same thing is true, right? So in an environment where interest rates are low, and the mortgage is performing, right? At the end of the day, what a lender wants, we're talking in this subject to environment where the original lender who is, you know, maybe kind of don't ask, don't tell, if this payment's coming in, they're not going to say anything. But now what if all of a sudden the going rate for money is 6% and you're sitting there on a 3% loan and you find out that this, this uh, subject to situation has occurred? How eager are you to get your 3% money back so you can put it out to work at 6 Right. Got it, right? So this is, again, something else that people who are out there playing this game have been doing it for the last three, four years when interest rates were super low. Now as we're watching interest rates creep up, you just have to be aware that the lender could be a little bit more motivated to come in and call that loan. So be aware. Well, and the way people are using Subject 2 today is short term, right? In the typical scenario today where we see Subject 2 is when you have a distressed homeowner and they haven't made the payments right. and they have that incredible pressure of, oh no, are they going to take my house and so forth. And an investor comes in and says, tell you what, I'll buy the property subject to the loan. I'll do the rehab. I'll fix it up, whatever the case is. And then pretty soon they get out of that loan because they don't want to be subject to the alienation clause or acceleration clause in the contract. You can effectively do this long term as long as you follow the protocol and the lender's getting paid. Again, the agreement at the beginning was, Mr. Lender, I'm going to pay you X amount per month, and if I don't, you're going to have the property back. So the lender still has the collateral of the property, and right. they have one other thing. They have the collateral of the original borrower's credit profile and credit score. Right. And so that's why the protections have to be put in place, and there's lots of different ways to do that. But it's still not only in the United States, but in a lot of places, it's one of the great tools we have as a loan that's subject to. We're talking about strategies that you might use to exit when it's time to sell or when you reach critical mass. We have some more ideas when we come back. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're the Real Estate Guys. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you excited about real estate investing but not sure where to get started? Learn the secrets of building wealth through real estate in the comfort of your own home. In the Real Equity Home Study Course, professional investor Robert Helms and his team of experts show you why real estate outperforms other investments. Stop dreaming about investing in real estate and start doing something about it. Order the Real Equity Home Study Course today at realestateguysradio.com and click on resources. realestateguysradio.com when it comes to positive cash flow, it's essential to keep expenses and vacancy low. Wouldn't it be great to buy a brand new rental house with a builder's home warranty in a strong jobs market? Now you can. Discover the Build to Rent program from Texas Investor Homes. Buy a brand new rent-ready single-family home in the top job creation market in the U.S., Houston, Texas. Our friend Ron Black has prepared a short webinar with all the details. Send your email request to build to rent at realestateguysradio.com and we'll send you the link. That's build to rent at realestateguysradio.com or visit the resource section of our website at realestateguysradio.com. Hi, I'm Steve Forbes. You're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Listen up. Happy holidays and welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're talking about exit strategies and obviously there's been a crimp put on some of the seller financing, but doesn't mean there's not great opportunity. There's lots of that. Speaking of opportunity, better get your cabin reserved for the 2014 Investors Summit at Sea. It's coming right up. We got lots of folks signing up and it's going to be an amazing event. All the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com. Click on the button that says Summit. So just, just a quick shout on that because this is important. <laughs> we've been recruiting faculty members like crazy. So, I mean, we've got Tom Hopkins coming. You know, we've got Peter Schiff coming back again. This is Tom's first year. We've got Josh and Lisa Lannon, Rich Dad's advisors for uh, social entrepreneurism, coming back. So that's super exciting. We've got a new guy, a, a guy named Matt Kirkhoff. So Matt writes for the Dow Theory Letters. And, you know, anybody who's in the investor space that follows investment newsletters has heard of Richard Russell and the Dow Theory Letters. And so we got Matt coming. And uh, there's a couple other people that we're working on, too. So, I mean, it's just the faculty is just going to be amazing. And we may never get this faculty back together again. This is a one 
once, really, literally, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be in an environment with these people for an entire week, talk about strategies, talk about what's going to happen with all the oil discovered here in the United States, what's going to happen with China and their, do we have a new baby boom coming? They just lifted their one-child policy, right? We've got China's ascension, right, as a superpower. We've got what's going on with the dollar. We've got a new Fed chair. We've got the disastrous rollout of the health care bill, and what's that going to look like? There's so many, many, many things, plus Dodd-Frank. All of these things happening in 2014, what do the biggest brains in the business think is going to happen, and how can you hedge position and profit? And then where's the opportunity? I mean, you might be listening to this show and then all the stuff that's happening and go, you know what? I'm now finally open to investing outside of the United States. It's a big world. Well, not only we're we going to have some folks who are faculty members teaching about that specific investment strategies outside of the U.S., but we're going to visit some beautiful places and do a real estate shore excursion in one of the most wonderful countries we think to invest in Belize. Yeah, it's going to be great. You know, there, there are places where Dodd-Frank doesn't apply. I'm yes. just saying, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about bigger picture on exit strategy because, again, we want to take the mindset of no investor left behind. And also, when you buy a property and hold it for some period of time, it's not just about selling it and making the money. There's a lot of ways you can do it. So a few weeks back, we talked about options, how to right. use options in real estate. Hey, Andy Tanner on the program, who, by the way, will be on the summit too. Andy's an awesome guy. But you might want to go back and listen to that show if you haven't heard it about options because we talk in there about lease options as well, another exit strategy, way to sell to your tenant. But there's other things you can do. In the light of changing legislation and not wanting to get licensed and wanting to be able to have these tools, there's some things you can do. Like, for instance, what about joint venture? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an exciting concept because, see, the thing is, these laws are designed to deal with a relationship of borrower-lender. But if you're partners, these rules don't apply. And so you can make somebody a partner and still have effectively inside of the partnership contract the same terms that you wanted to have in the borrower-lender relationship. It's just that they're done through a partnership contract. So it's a little bit different, probably a little bit more legal work. But again, this goes back to this notion that when you throw up an obstacle, entrepreneurs are going to be creative and find a way to do what they want to do anyway. And in this case, you're not doing anything wrong, right? You're trying to find a way to help somebody who wants a property get it, to help somebody who wants to get out of a property get out and have the thing work. Nothing wrong with that. So the JV concept is a great one. And there's lots of ways to approach that. If I'm selling a property, I can look for a buyer that's going to be a JV buyer with me, a partner with me, another investor. We're like-minded. It's probably someone you know and someone that, you know, maybe a, a budding investor that you're taking under your wing, that kind of thing. That exists all the time. But also it can be a great way to go in and acquire a property. If you don't have a credit profile that will get you a loan today either because you've had baggage or because you're Fannie and Freddie'd out, you're at your maximum 10 loans. Right. And the loans you can get today just don't look as good as the loans your friends can get, you may be able to go out to your circle of influence and say, hey, tell you what, why don't we partner on this property? You bring the loan, I'll bring the deal, we'll split the down payment, whatever that looks like, and you go in and you joint venture a property. Yeah, so... I love it. I just love it. Keep changing the rules to the game and keep watching the investment community react and entrepreneurial spirit come out. You've got different ways to get in and you've got different ways to get out. But whenever you go in, make sure you have if this if there's one takeaway right make sure you have at least two or three or maybe four exit strategies in your back pocket and then stay tuned to programs like this and stay aware of what's going out in the world to make sure that when the rules change that you know you're informed and you can make the necessary adjustments you know i love when you say programs like this because we don't hold the uh, distinction of being the only show on real estate investing nor should we probably be the only show you're listening to lots of great podcasts out there lots of great radio shows. We're, we're kind of both, right? We, we originate on the radio and we podcast the show. We've been doing it for a long, long time. But part of what you want to do is understand the, all the different possibilities, right? We've got a great guy coming back on the summit. It'll be his fourth year and he's going to teach on this year's summit wholesaling. Yeah. Well, we've not done wholesaling shows because there's a ton of podcasts and guys that are really doing that. That's not a business that we've chosen to get into, but it can be a great way to make money in real estate. So again, kind of this theme of uh, we're getting all these great ideas and brains together for the 2014 summit, uh, we really want to get you there because there's the ability to change your investing career forever. This is probably the best faculty in terms of diversity 
and in terms of really what I think people need to know going into a world that is changing rapidly. Uh, so this, you know, there obviously is going to be an emphasis on real estate because we're real estate guys, right? But we're going to be talking about economics and interest rates and all the big picture stuff. We're also going to get down to the very tactical level with people that uh, do turnkey properties that run farmland and produce income from crops. Oil and gas production. Oil and gas Gold guys, and silver. Gold and silver. Yeah. All of those things, right? And the, kind of the theme is how do you as an investor, any kind of investor, take all of these different asset classes and resources and put them together into a portfolio that is going to work in the environment we're in. And of course, the environment always changes. Even today, here we are three months ahead, and we still don't know what the environment's going to be like when we're actually on the ship. We don't know. We're going to find out. And so being around a group of people for a week, I mean, if you think it's fun listening to a podcast, I mean, I love it. Whenever we go to a trade show, we go to these things, we spend two, three, four days immersed in a topic and talking to people who are equally enamored by what's going on and have put deep thought into it and have a wide range of experiences. And you get a chance to have these conversations. Say, hey, uh, you know, Peter, what do you think the impact of all this oil is going to be on inflation? Oh, well, you know, I think blah, 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 blah. Well, Matt, you're an economist. What do you think? And then, and then, you know, what are you seeing at the street level over there? You know, oh, the hedge funds are doing blah, blah, blah. You know, and it, it's just amazing to watch the faculty members sitting at the table learning from each other. I'm just sitting there like a fly on the wall going, oh, this is the best ever. It is the greatest event we do every year, and we'd love to have you there. It's called our Investor Summit at Sea. This is the 12th year. We'll be going we start our summit in Houston this year, then we head down to the Caribbean and have a great time on the cruise ship learning and making great friendships. So check it out at realestateguysradio.com, button that says Summit. If you want more information about the Dodd-Frank Law that takes effect on January 10th, 2014, pretty easy to Google that and get the actual verbiage of it. So if you're really in this space, you'll want to find that out. The big takeaway from today's show is just understanding that you need to have multiple exit strategies. So be thinking of those, and as a new year starts here shortly, be thinking about how you're going to implement those strategies in 2014. Our good friend Robert Kiyosaki says that savers are losers. On next week's show, we're going to show you how savers don't always have to be losers. Next week on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Until then, go out and make some equity happen. Happy New Year. This episode of the Real Estate Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Paradigm Life. Powerful cash management strategies using life insurance. Learn more at beyourbank.com. Mid-South Home Buyers, low-cost, turnkey cash flow properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Corporate Direct, asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the Resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.